Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for allowing us to be here. Thank you for traveling grace. Thank you for all the prayers you've answered, the ones you are answering right now, Father. And we understand, Lord, you are eternal and so eternal. And so all of uh, the, these answers to the requests, you know, they have been decided in eternity. But we're seeing them fall into place in time on this side of eternity. And so, Lord, we, we of course, are looking forward to that time where we'll see our specific requests Fall into place, Lord. And like I said, already we're starting to see that. And we are looking forward to your son soon return for his bride, the church. And so, Lord, as we study uh, your word and and as we go about our day, go about our night, um, help us to keep that in mind that Jesus could come at any moment. But also, Lord, help us to be true worshipers of you and to keep our hand steady on that gospel plow each and every day that you give us until Jesus returns for his church. And also, Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching. I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit, not only for myself, but for your people who are here in this building and those who are watching online, a fresh outpouring of your spirit, Father, from the crown of our heads to the sole of our feet. May you empower and equip us to be effective witnesses for you. May you use us for your glory. And specifically for myself, I ask that I would decrease tonight and you increase. And that you help me, Lord, and everyone else here to be receptive of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So tonight we're going to continue in our study of 2 Samuel. And so this, of course, is the book we're going through on Wednesday nights. And on Sunday mornings, Pastor Jim is going through 1 Corinthians, and so he's coming to the end of that. And so, once again, we are in 2 Samuel. And the title to the overall theme that we're learning in this book is Reaching Your Full Potential in Christ, The Journey Continues. And I say the journey continues because in 1 Samuel, it was just reaching your full potential in Christ. And so we are still on that journey. That journey for us continues. And in fact, just to give you a heads up, as long as we don't have our glorified bodies, as long as we're still, still living on this side of eternity, we, we should be um, on this journey. And so this is a lifelong process. And so tonight is just one step in that process. And so all of us, what we should want to do is, is come and hear the word of God, but not just be hearers. We want to be doers as well as it tells us to be in James, in the book of James. We want to be doers of the word. And so tonight, once again, we'll be in chapter 2 of Second Samuel. And tonight I'll be using the title, Fighting the Wrong War. Fighting the Wrong War. And so we begin in verse 1 where it says, 
It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And so remember, he's in Ziklag in Philistine territory at this point. And so, and so Saul and three of his sons have been killed in the battle against the Philistines. And so now he's asking, um, shall I go up? And, he, and he's asking the Lord, not any of his friends. And, and the Lord said to him, go up. And David said, where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron, and Hebron, by the way, is located in Judah, the southern part of Israel, about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. And so in verse 2, David went up there. He went up to Hebron and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household. And so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron, or they settled in the villages near Hebron, and then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah, again, the southern part of Israel. And they told David, saying, the men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. And so these men who uh, lived in the place located on the east side of the Jordan River, in the territory of the tribe of Gad, they're the ones who bury Saul. They, they didn't forget the fact that Saul in the past had rescued them. And you can find that in 1 Samuel. And so they did that good deed. But one thing I want to point your attention to is the fact that David was once again anointed king. Because And I say once again because he was anointed about 15 to 20 years ago privately by Samuel. And now at this point, he's been anointed publicly in Hebron. And so David, we see here, he started his responsibilities as king by being the king over the house of Judah. That is one of the tribes of Israel, one of the 12 tribes. So he was anointed king over the house of Judah. And notice this, that he didn't immediately take his spot as king over all Israel, just over that southern part, Judah. Notice that. Notice the baby steps. And I want you to notice the baby steps because it's a reminder for us that we all need to start somewhere. And wherever God starts us, Be faithful in that. Wherever God starts you in the work, for example, of the ministry, be faithful in that. Maybe the Lord wants you to start in the nursery or maybe he wants you to start a home fellowship. Maybe he wants you to start as an usher or greeter. Whatever the case may be, wherever wherever the Lord has placed you, be faithful in that. See, Jesus told a parable in the New Testament of the talents in in which a man who was traveling to a far country had delivered to, to his different servants, to three different servants. And he gave all three of those servants a different amount of talents or a sum of money. 
And, and he divided these talents to his three different servants according to each of his servants' abilities or potential. And remember, this is a parable Jesus is telling in the New Testament. Now, be mindful of the fact that two of the three servants had invested well. They invested the talents well. They invested their master's sum of money well. Two out of the three did that. And so when their master or their Lord came back to settle accounts with his servants, this is what Jesus said to the first two servants. And so in Matthew 25, verse 21, Jesus said to them, well done. And many of you are familiar with this. As he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So David, you're not taking the throne yet over all of Israel. You were anointed as king when you were younger. And now you have only taken the throne and taken your spot as king over Judah. So that's not all of Israel yet, but be faithful, David, in that. Be faithful in just being king for now over the southern part of Israel, over Judah, over that one tribe. And, and you can fill in the blanks for you because maybe your job is not as a king or, or a queen, but wherever God has placed you, once again, be faithful in that. And if you're faithful in that, one day you are going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful, guess what? over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. And I think we'll see a lot of application in that during the millennial kingdom or what is known as the 1,000-year reign of Christ literally on this earth. In verses 5 through 7, it says, So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness or this loyalty to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. May he show, in other words, loving kindness and truth and faithfulness to you. And David tells them, as the newly appointed king of Judah, I also will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strengthened or be strong and be valiant or brave for for though your master Saul is dead and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So once again, we we see the heart of God being shown or displayed through David as we see David make this promise to the men of Jabesh Gilead because they buried the body of Saul. Because the the Philistines, they they mutilated his body. And so these men of Jabesh Gilead, they they buried it. They gave him a a proper burial. And so he said, not only will the Lord reward you or show kindness and truth to you, but I will also repay this kindness to you. And so we see that heart of God through the man of God, through this man who was after God's own heart. And I say we see that God's heart is displayed through David here 
because God also repays us. He repays people for our treatment of others. And so I have to ask the question tonight, just knowing that is a fact, knowing that is truth, that God repays us for our treatment of others, just knowing that, the question is, how are we treating others? How are we treating orphans? How are we treating the widows? Oh, there's quite a few scriptures about God's concern of the orphans and the widows. So how are we treating them? How are we treating our neighbor? Of course, we've read in the New Testament that that Jesus tells us to love our neighbors. So how are we loving our neighbors? And get this, especially, especially those who are of the household of faith. As Galatians 6 uh, verses 9 and 10 tells us, it says to to let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So don't get tired of doing good, even though you don't see a repayment of that immediately, even though you don't see an immediate reward, even though people are still uh, treating you horribly. They're still putting you down. They, they may be physically harming you, but, but, but don't grow weary while doing good. We're going to reap in due season. Just don't lose heart. In other words, don't give up. Continue to do what God has called you to do. And, and here is the other part that I want to share with you because it relates to the point that I was bringing up about our treatment of others. And it says, therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, these are those of us who have repented and put our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and spiritually, we are the children of God because of once again our faith in Christ. So how are we treating other believers? How are we treating other Christians, which is, by the way, the bride of Christ? How are we treating Jesus's bride? As we have opportunity, do good to all, especially the saints. And as we continue to do good to all, especially the saints, in due season, yes, the scriptures tells us we shall reap. We shall reap a reward from the Lord. And back in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 2, verse 8, it says, But Abner, and Abner, by the way, is, is Saul's cousin, King Saul's cousin, and remember King Saul had just got killed in battle. But, but this Abner, who is his cousin, the son of Ner, he was also the commander of Saul's army. And it says here that he took Ishbosheth, which means man of shame, the son of Saul, and he brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Nishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years, and only the house of Judah followed David. Only that tribe followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron... Over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So out of all of the tribes of Israel, only Judah followed David. 
And David, by the way, was God's choice for king. But on the other hand, we see that Abner made Saul's surviving son, Ishbosheth, the king over the rest of Israel. And so when we get, what we get from this is that Judah was actually the only tribe that was following the right king. And he was the right king as far as a human king is concerned because he was God's appointed king. But the others, of course, were following Ishbosheth. And there is a principle in this. There's something we can take from this. Something we can take from Judah being the only tribe to follow the right king. And that's something we could take from that is that, that sometimes it will be only our immediate family out of all of our blood relatives. It may just be your particular household that is following the true king, that is following the greater than David. And the greater than David, of course, is Jesus. Because according to his humanity, he was of the bloodline of King David. He was a relative, a descendant of King David, according to his humanity. But according to Jesus' divinity, the fact that he's fully God, fully man, according to him, um, to his divinity, Jesus is David's creator. He's his God. And so that's why I refer to him as the greater than David. Because the human David, he, he gives us a picture of this greater than David, Jesus And so there's this one tribe, Judah, following David. And likewise with some of us, it's only our immediate family, only our household, us, our wives, our children who are following this greater than David, the true king, Jesus Christ. And so, yes, some of your other relatives, and and I'm speaking of blood relatives, Yes, some of them may be worshiping another God. Some of them may be atheists. Some of them may claim to be agnostic or belong to some cult. But we should be like Joshua, as he says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Hey, family, you may be worshiping those gods. You may choose to worship that God with the little G. And you may claim to be an atheist and not believe in any God, but you may really be worshiping yourself and your own ideas. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, we should be like Judah in tonight's lesson. How they were the only tribe following the true king. If it has to be that way, then you serve the true king, the king of kings, the greater than David, Jesus Christ. You serve him. Be faithful in serving him and don't be distracted. Yes, pray for your family. Use various opportunities to share the gospel with your blood relatives. But if you have to go at it alone, then go at it alone. And God is going to do his part. In verse 12, it says, now Abner, the son of Ner, 
and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, they went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, who is actually David's nephew, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David, they went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. And, and Gibeon, of course, was located in Benjamin's, the tribe of Benjamin's territory on the west side of the Jordan River. And so they sat down. So Abner sat down and his guy sat down and Joab sat down. Joab is on David's side. They sat down each side of the pool of Gibeon. And in verse 14, then Abner said to Joab. So in other words, uh, Saul's guy said to King David's guy, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. So they arose and went over by number, 12 from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head or the hair and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. And so they fell down together. So in other words, all 24 of them died. And so this contest, so to speak, was a tie. They all died. And therefore, that place was called the field of sharp swords, which is in Gibeon. So there was a very fierce battle that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of Saul. And so we, we see here a hint of a message. And that hint of, of that message here is that David is the rightful king. And that he right now has God's favor upon him. He has God's approval, his acceptance. He has God's benefits or blessing upon him. So we get a hint of that as King David's guys won in this fierce battle against Saul's guy. King Saul, the the king that just died. And so David had favor and so... Once again, his guys won. And so when it comes to us or some of you, you know, some people may wonder, why do you keep winning? Why why do you keep winning in certain circumstances in your life? You know, others may seem to have the upper hand against you. Other people may seem to have more qualifications than you have. Others may seem to have more experience than you have. Or some may even have the inside track. But, but you always, others may notice, you always seem to come out on top. You always seem to be the winner in the various circumstances in your life. And I don't want you to get big-headed if you're winning in life, if you're winning in your circumstances. But, but I just want to share with you that, that you're quote-unquote winning because of God's favor upon you, just like it was upon David at that time. That's why he won. That's why his guides won. It's because of God's favor is upon you. See, others may be duped by a certain scam, but 
But God may save you from being duped. He may save you from being taken advantage of. You may be one click away from pressing a button, thinking it's a real email from, from a real, I don't know, em, em, employer or potential employer. Maybe seconds away from clicking on the button, thinking that you are the winner of some great prize, some shopping spree. The Lord will step in and that laptop will turn off. That button won't work or you will be distracted or the Holy Spirit may just speak softly to you. Don't do that. And so other people may be duped by that or be taken advantage of. But because God's favor, his grace is upon you. Or he won't allow you to fall into that track. He won't allow you to be duped. You'll be a winner in that situation. And so once again, if that's you, don't be big-headed, but, but thank God for his favor. Thank God for his grace. And in verse 18, it says, Now the sons of Zeruiah, that is, that is the sister of David, they were there. And so his nephews were there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel, was, he, he was fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. In other words, this guy was fast. As the kids would say, he has wheels. And so Asahel pursued Abner. And, and going, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. He was, he was persistent in tracking down Abner. He was gaining ground. And then Abner looked behind him. Remember, this is Saul's guy. And he said, are you Asahel? And he said, I am. And Abner said to him, turn aside to your right hand or to your left. So stop following me. And instead, lay hold on one of the young men or catch one of the young men. And take his armor for yourself. Go beat up somebody else. Chase somebody else and beat them up and take their armor. But, but leave me alone. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And so Abner said again to Asahel, uh, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? So I, I don't want to harm you because I, I don't want to, I, I just don't want to hurt you because then I'll have a harder time facing your brother Joab. However, Asahel refused to turn aside and therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt or the butt end of the spear so that the spear came out of his back and he fell down there and died on the spot. And so it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel uh, fell down and died, they stood still. You see, Abner in this situation with Asahel, he, he felt he needed to defend himself. He tried to get him to stop pursuing him, but he wouldn't stop. So Abner defended himself. Because remember, he was running away, but, but this guy with wheels, he just kept following him. He kept coming, and Abner was warning him. He, he just didn't listen. He was just too focused on him. He was persistent. And so now a bad situation has now become worse. You know, this, and the interesting part about this is that he got killed. Asahel got killed by the, by the butt end of a spear. And there is an explanation of that. You know, according to this book that's called Warfare in the Old Testament, it says this, that, 
that even the tail end of the spear could kill. Since soldiers often stuck their spears in the ground when not in use, they probably sharpened the end or affixed a metal point to make this easier, thus enabling attack with the tail as well. And so that's how that is possible. And so thank God for people who are gifted to look into the history and the culture of that time because it helps to explain some of these things that, that we have a hard time finding an explanation for. But we continue in verse 24 where it says, Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner, and the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Ammah, which is before Gaia, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. And now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit, and they took their stand on top of a hill. And then Abner called to Joab, David's guy, and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How, how long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? And so he said, it's going to be all bad if you let this continue, Joab. Call, call off the dogs, call them off. But, but in this series of questions in, in verse 26 of 2 Samuel chapter 2, Abner asked a great question. It's a great question that's applicable to us today. And that question is, shall the sword devour forever? In other words, he says, are we going to keep killing each other? Or we could have been asked this question today, will killing keep going on? Will murders keep going on? Will war keep going on till uh, forever? Will it go on forever? And thankfully, we know the answer to that question. Because the scripture tells us that the swords one day will be beaten into plowshares. And it's talking about during the millennial kingdom in Isaiah chapter 2. In Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4, it says, He shall judge or mediate between the nations and rebuke many people. So in other words, speaking of Jesus after his second coming, now he's reigning on the throne in Jerusalem. Again, during this 1,000-year kingdom. And it says that he's going to mediate between nations, rebuke many people, or in other words, he's going to settle any disputes and, and they shall beat or they're going to hammer their swords into plowshares. And so that's the metal tip of the plow and, the, and their spears. They're also going to hammer their spears into pruning hooks, which, which are the hooks for trimming trees. So in other words, it's saying here that during the millennial kingdom, the, the weapons will be used for something that's more peaceful, more productive. In this case, agricultural or farming equipment. And he says, nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn or train for war anymore. So great question, Abner, shall the sword devour forever? And, and thank God that, that he put this word in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, that one day that there won't be any war. 
There's going to be worldwide peace. There's going to be worldwide righteousness because Jesus, he is coming back. And I'm talking about that this is an event that takes place after the rapture and after the tribulation period. And and we call this the second coming. And you're going to have the judgment of the nations in Matthew chapter 25. And then you'll have this 1,000 year reign, this millennial kingdom. And you're going to see things like this that we see in Isaiah 2. Verse four. So, yes, Abner, great, great question. And thank God we have the answer to that. There's going to be a time when we won't train for war anymore. Praise God. And verse 27 in Joab said, as God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning, all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So 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 what Joab is telling Abner here. After, after Abner speaks up and asks these questions, he says, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you said something. Because in other words, the, the people, my guys, they would have chased their brothers until morning. They would have continued to pursue them, in other words. And so Joab, in verse 28, he blew a trumpet, he, which is called a ram's horn, or you may know it as a shofar. And all the people... They stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. Then Abner and his men, they went on all that night through the plain. They crossed over the Jordan, speaking of the Jordan River. So now they, they, they crossed over. Now they are, they are on the east side of the Jordan River. And they went through all of Bithron. And they came to Mahanaim. And so Joab returned from pursuing Abner in verse 30. And when he had gathered all the people together, they were missing of David's servants, 19 men in Asahel. So a total of 20 guys were missing from from David's group. Remember, David's the king of Judah. But in verse 31, the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men, 360 Then they took up Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night and they came to Hebron at daybreak. And so although Abner is the one who suggested that there be a fight in the first place, he came to his senses. We saw that that this man came to his senses and, and he presented those good points in the form of questions. And as a result, we see that Joab did indeed call off the dogs. He called off his warriors from continuing after Abner and his men. And so we see that this bickering has stopped. Abner had to be the bigger person, even though he kind of, he started it. And I just want to say tonight that If you're bickering with someone, you're going back and forth with someone. You're not coming to that place of agreement. You're you're bumping heads. If you're in that place, I, I have a question for you. The question is, who is going to be the spiritually mature one? And that should be a question, and it is a question for me if I find myself in that situation. Who is going to be the more spiritually mature one? Who is going to be the humble one? And I say that because all of us, we want to be right. We don't want to lose the argument. We want to get the last word in. 
But who's going to be the bigger person? Who's going to be the spiritually mature, the more humble one and call an end to the bickering? Who's going to do that? Abner was the one here. Is that person me? Is that person you who's going to be that, that more spiritually mature person in a case like this? You see, when others are done with the conversation, when other people are done with the disagreement, are you still trying to pursue it? Are you still saying, but, and and your apology, your so-called apology that you give, are you saying, you know, I'm sorry if I came across that way. And then here's when it turns. You say, but, and then it starts all over again. If you're going to apologize, apologize. Don't say, but, because that, that, that means it's some, something else is coming up. I'm sorry if, you know, if you felt that way about me, but you kind of started it too. You know, we, we, we do that. And so if somebody's trying to end it, and you're like, you know what, let's squash it, let's move on. Are you still trying to get that last point in? Are you still trying to be like Joab's guy and go after Abner guys? Are, are you still like that or do you still try to get, you know, that upper hand? Just, just to have those bragging rights. Now, if that's you, and let's share what it says in Proverbs 17, 14. It says the beginning of strife or conflict is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Wise words, right? Of course, these are wise, wise words. This is from the word of God. This is from God. And so that start of strife, that conflict is like a flood being let loose. But we can stop that. And there's another scripture in, in Proverbs. I believe it's in chapter 15 of Proverbs. You know, a soft answer turns away wrath. But... A harsh word, it says, stirs up anger. So how are you responding? The harsh word or with the soft answer? Are you stopping the contention before the issue becomes bigger? Or are you trying to get that last point in? See, this whole whole civil war that we see here amongst brothers in in the tribe in in, in Israel, and all of Israel, because they're all brothers. They, They may belong to different tribes, but... They're brothers. They're related. But, but this whole civil war between them and this lesson was, of course, started by Abner. Because he suggested that the young men that were with him and Joab's young men should have a contest. You know, we've seen that in the lesson. And then we see Joab, who was big and bad, too. He wasn't because he wasn't willing to back down from this challenge. He goes along with it. And so all 24 of those young men in this lesson died. And so this all-out civil war between God's chosen people began. And this is a sad issue because they, they lost focus on Israel's real enemy. They, they lost focus on their enemy, the Philistines. You know, and it and kind of makes me think of, of a certain play or plays, I should say, we used to run when, when I used to help coach football on the offensive side of the ball. And if you're new to that, that means you have the ball. You're on offense. 
And so we would run these plays, and, you know, they were counter plays. In other words, these plays, they, they looked like they were going to one side, but the runner, the runner ended up going through a, a hole on the other side. And, and to pull that off, the, the first person the ball looks like is going to, they have to fake really well. You know, I used to tell the running backs to roll over the ball. You know, you roll over it, you hide it. Don't let them see your hands and run as fast as you can. Even though you don't have it, run as fast as you can because all of their attention, the defense's attention is, is going to be on you. But at the same time, the, the real runner is going the other way. And he picks up a, a lot of yards. And so, you know, we could have a certain formation and, a, and one base or a basic play. And we can run many plays off of that and fake all kinds of ways. But, but the goal was to make, them, make the defense think you were doing something you really weren't doing. Because you wanted them to fight somewhere that the fight really wasn't. And so this, what has happened, this is what has happened to Israel in this situation. They, they were focusing on another war. They were fighting amongst themselves instead of against the Philistines. And unfortunately, this happens to believers, or at least those who professes to be believers. For example, there are some who claim to be believers or some believers. They, they, they may see some politicians as the main enemy and are more focused on using political weapons or, or arguments to win the fight. Some may see social issues which includes racism as the main enemy or the main war they should be engaged in. And so they are using the worldview of wokeism as a weapon to fight. And unfortunately, some have even used pulpits to try to fight wars that they believe is right instead of the war that they really should be fighting. They, they, they've gone for the fake the enemy, the true enemy, the devil has run a counterplay on them, if you will. There are even Christians or those who profess to be Christians on different sides of the aisle in regard to viewpoints on the different world issues. And they're fighting against each other, fighting the wrong enemy and fighting the wrong war. However, as Christians, we should be engaged in the real war because the real war that's, that's going on is a spiritual war. And it's a spiritual war because our enemy is a spiritual enemy. See, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't struggle against flesh and blood. We don't really struggle against people. That's not our real enemy, but against principalities. These are rulers of angels and demons. We struggle against powers. These are authorities. And by the way, spiritual authorities. We, we struggle against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Again, it's speaking of the world rulers, the spiritual one, demonic forces. We struggle against the spiritual hosts or forces of wickedness in the heavenly places or in the heavenly regions. And so because our enemy is spiritual, once again, the war we should be focused on as believers should be the spiritual warfare. 
spiritual enemy. If we fight in a spiritual enemy, that means our weapons and our, and our armor should be suited to defend us and should be used to fight against that spiritual enemy. So that means that our armor, starting with that, cannot be physical. Our armor cannot be physical. You see, our waist, according to Ephesians chapter 6, should be girded with truth. We should also have on the breastplate of righteousness, reminding us of the righteousness that comes by faith and it protects us from condemnation. Our feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We should first receive the the gospel of peace. and, And it's called the gospel of peace because it causes us through Jesus Christ, through faith in him, to have peace with God. And because of peace with him, we can have the peace of God. But it also reminds us that when we have our, our, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that we're also ready to share the gospel with other people. But it tells us also that a, a piece of the armor in Ephesians 6 is taking the shield of faith. You see, these are spiritual pieces of armor because we're in a spiritual war against a spiritual enemy. And so, yes, we should have the shield of faith. And that quenches the fiery darts of the enemy. And then we should have the helmet of salvation. And spiritually, it talks about our assurance of salvation that we have in who? That we have in Christ. It speaks of the hope of glorification. And so knowing, understanding, believing, and applying salvation, this knowledge that we are saved, we are sure of our salvation, it fights off the attacks on our minds. But not only should our armor be spiritual because we're in a spiritual war and we're fighting a spiritual enemy, but also the, the, the weapons, the offensive weapons we use should be spiritual. And it tells us this in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. Now I have to go quickly. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For what? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing down or bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so verse five tells us what strongholds are. So when you think of a stronghold, a stronghold is a fortress and a fortress protects. And so when you're speaking of this spiritually, these strongholds, um, are arguments that, that people use to protect their worldview, their way of thinking. But we're to use spiritual weapons to tear down those strongholds. We're to use spiritual weapons to, to cast down those arguments that they use to support their false beliefs and to protect their false beliefs. We're to use spiritual weapons like the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit, of course, is the word of God. We're to also use prayer and, and, and just being prayerful, using prayer is a sign of us being alert. You see, as we are in prayer and are engaging um, in spiritual warfare through prayer on a daily basis, then we'll be ready when the enemy attacks. We won't have to get ready. We'll be ready. And so we can use prayer. We can use the word of God to cast down those arguments, to cast down those, those walls of this stronghold that people use 
to protect their worldview, their false, non-biblical worldview, because the goal is to, to bring um, every thought into captivity to the obedience to Christ. And so this civil war in this chapter wouldn't have happened if Abner had not tried to establish Ishbosheth as the king of Israel in the first place. So even going back before the contest, you see, he disregarded the fact that David was supposed to be the new king. And so herein lies the main issue as the worship team takes the stage. Herein lies the main issue. The main issue is that not everyone is willing to submit to the king. Saul's guy Abner and those people who followed him and they submitted to Ishbosheth as king. They were in disobedience because they weren't following the true king that God established. And once again, we see the main issue of today. That people, not everyone is willing to submit to this, to our true king, Jesus Christ. Yes, we have a spiritual enemy, the devil, and his army, but not everybody's willing to submit to Jesus. And so here's something else we should be doing to get specific, and I touched on it earlier, but we should be sharing the gospel message. No, like it tells, tells us, really, and this is the Apostle Paul sharing his testimony, but this applies to us in Acts 26, verses 17 and 18. Now, as the Apostle Paul was sharing his testimony and what Jesus told him to do, he says his calling was to open the Gentiles' eyes, the non-believers' eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So this is part of the spiritual warfare we're engaged in. This is one way we can fight against our spiritual enemy by sharing the gospel with people who are under the enemy's power. Because when they receive this good news about Jesus, then, then guess what? They're no longer under the power and authority of the devil. In fact, they come out of that kingdom of darkness and they're brought into the kingdom of light. And you can be a part of that as you engage in spiritual warfare, as you are doing what God has called you to do. And that's what we should be. Gospel message bearers. We're not called to be the vaccine police. We're not called to be the anti-vaccine apologists. We're, We're not called to be an apologist for a political party. But obviously, you want to you vote as biblically as possible. We're not called to elevate our skin color or our ethnic group above the word of God. But we do have a clear commission. And Jesus gave it. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he said, Go therefore, make disciples, make followers of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So what war 
are you fighting? Are you fighting the wrong war? Are you engaged or are you engaged in spiritual warfare? Are you praying? Are you using the word of God to tear down strongholds? Are, are you better known as an apologist for an ethnic group or some skin color? You can fill in the blank there. Got different shades of skin. Are you better known for that or are you better known as being an ambassador of Christ? I would suggest that all of us strive to be known as the latter, an ambassador of Christ. So at this time, we're going to go into the communion part of the service. And we're going to do it with a heart of gratitude because our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, our greater than David, he died on that cross for us. And so we are to never forget that body that was beat up and bruised and abused for us, that body that was hung on the cross. We should never forget that holy blood that was shed, that was poured out for us. And so we do it with a heart of gratitude. We do it with the heart of remembrance, always remembering what he did for us. We do it with the heart of reverence and also use this time as a time of evaluation, asking the Lord to show you if there's any sin in your life you haven't um, repented of, something that you haven't confessed to him. And if he shows you anything, confess it. And our God is faithful and he's just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we're so thankful for our greater than David, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And, and we have the elements here at the front and in the back, there are two cups. So you want to take both and I'm not going to lead you in that. So um, as you see fit and as you feel led, um, go to the front or back and um, grab the elements, take them back to your seat and, you know, pray between you and the Lord or, you know, pray with your spouse, you know, to the Lord and then partake. But I'm going to say a quick prayer and I'll take my seat for the night. Father God, we thank you so much um, for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Equip us, we pray, um, in, in the spiritual warfare that is going on. Help us to be, um, you know, focused on you. And of course, not getting involved in skirmishes that, that don't really matter. And so use us, bless us this week. Help us to be a blessing this week. And we pray your blessing upon the elements. And we pray that you'll be glorified throughout the remainder of this night. And bless my brothers and sisters on their way home. And thank you so much for their prayers and for their fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.